I'm spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Welcome to a new spin on autism. Answers with host and international speaker and performer, Lynette Louise. Besides working on her doctorate in psychophysiology, Lynette has raised eight children, six adopted, and four of them falling somewhere on the autism spectrum. Laugh with her, cry with her, as she talks to both experts and parents and takes you through the often confusing, sometimes frustrating, sometimes overwhelming, but always fascinating world of autism. Hello and welcome. This is a new spin on Autism Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, also known as the Brain Broad. Today we're going to do something, watch, we're going to do a series of some things. I decided that since I am writing another book on autism, it would make a lot of sense to give you guys sort of the uh, the prequel to the autism book. Um, in fact, what I'm going to do is transcribe some of what we say today and put that into the book. So you're getting a sneak peek into my next book. The reason for that is, well... First, let me explain to you that there's not going to be a stories from the road because the entire show is going to be like a stories from the road because I'm not going to have a guest. In fact, I'm not going to have a guest for the next three episodes. So I'm going to break down what I see as the three most important things to talk about in my next book, and I'm going to talk about them here on the show and then use the transcript and then use the transcription of the show to uh, fill in some of the the issues on the book. Okay, so you are lucky. Yes, and so am I, because I have you to talk to. And that makes it a lot easier for me to think about what is it that I want to tell you? What is it that I think is the most important thing to share with uh, parents and, and therapists and caregivers all over the world that are working with autism? And one of them I'm going to break it down into three questions. We're going to basically do one per episode. So this is episode one. This is the first question. I think the three questions I'm going to do are, how does ABA teach to autism? In other words, how does it make you more autistic? Oh, and I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of people angry with that one. But I'm also at the same time asking, and how do the child-centered approaches like um, Sunrise and and, uh, Floor Time teach to nonverbal behavior, as in make you maybe stay nonverbal? So I'm going to hit on both of those, and that's going to be today. That's going to be our questions of the day. And I believe what I'm going to do in the next two episodes, however, I have to admit I tend to be a flexible-minded person, so I might change my mind. I do believe that the next two episodes are going to cover the questions of when is sensory overload our fault, as in the caregivers of the parents or the therapists, and what do you do about it? And then, and then, sorry about that, there I got some water. Um, The third one, I have like a million that I want to use, so I may use this one, is the, um, when the child is the reflection of us, when we see our child or our student as a reflection of our ability as a parent or a caregiver or a teacher, how can we do good work for them because we're so busy doing good work for us? In other words, we're busy trying to get them to reflect us in the way we want to be reflected. And uh, sometimes we lose sight of the child on that. And that can be kind of a heavy subject with a lot of different layers. So I may or may not do it. We'll see. All right. But definitely today, the question of the day is, how does Applied Behavior Analysis, ABA, the most popular 
you know, therapy for behavioral therapy for autism. How does it increase autism? How does it teach the child to become more autistic? Because I believe it does. And then how does, uh, conversely, how is it that some of the child-centered approaches increase the likelihood of being nonverbal? So let's go with that. I'm my only guest today. So, Lynette, how does that happen? Well, let me tell you. Um, I want you to think about this. Those of you who are familiar with ABA, I want you to just take your mind to a session and, and look at how a session is done. And look at one of the main components of a session. One of the main components of a session at the table, we're not talking about when you get into manding or practicing, you know, generalizing or all of that. We're going to just isolate it to that table time right now. So when you're at the table and you're teaching the child to say, I don't know, let's let's say you've got a series of cards and you're getting them to say um, the names on those cards and there's car and there's bottle and there's cup and there's juice and there's, you know, whatever. I probably didn't pick the best ones, but, um, so you have a series of cards and you point to it and the child says it or doesn't say say it or makes an approximation or doesn't. The concept here is that repetition is good and that when a motor system, like a speech motor system, practices over and over again, things can become automatic and so it becomes easier to speak, which is, a, you know, apparently a very good I, belief. It's held up in studies and certainly in, in my experience it holds up that practice does sometimes make perfect. So it makes sense to want to do a lot of repetition of a skill and the table does uh, enable us to do much more repetition than if you're playing with somebody and chasing around. And a much more varied presentation of repetition because if you're playing with somebody and running around you're probably going to be saying the same words over and over again like throw ball throw ball kick ball kick ball throw ball high throw ball low you know so there's there's much more of a limited presentation of choices when you're trying to do it inside of play or at least it seems like that to people so you're at the table and you've got all these pictures and you're asking the child to repeat and you'll do it for however long it's been ascertained this child is able to do it for before needing a break. And then at the time for the break, they may be given um, a f- edible reward like a raisin or a cookie or a cracker or something. Um, or they may be given a reward like um, a break. And, you know, usually during the break, they go and play whatever it is that they would like to play in a perseverative, autistic-like fashion. So while the child is doing that, generally speaking, the applied behavioral analyst would be sitting and making check marks or, you know, taking notes or doing the data. So one of the beauties of this therapy is a lot of data. So you get a lot of data, which makes it easier to get money for studies, which makes it easier to get it approved in school systems. It makes it easier to say, hey, this works or doesn't work, and to point at what's what's happening. So that's one of the beauties. Um, Repetition is another one of the beauties. One of the negatives, in my opinion, is that you're rewarding the child by saying, okay, go take a break now and be autistic. Now, really think about this and and try to open your mind because if you're into ABA, you just got mad at me and it's going to be hard to listen. So take a deep breath from your tummy and go, oh, maybe Lynette is a point. Let's find out. 
please, 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 because I've affected a lot of change over the years by making some tweaks in this presentation. All right, so just take a second, let your anger kind of go to the side, set it on a shelf for a minute, and, and think about what it is to the child. So here I am, I'm a child, and I'm having trouble speaking, for example, and as a result of having trouble speaking, and because my sensory system shows me weird, funky, cool things maybe with my eyes, and I like to maybe do weird things because it makes the world wiggle or whatever, I've got these weird ways of playing, these unusual presentations of games, and other people don't think it's cool. And I'm having trouble talking, so I can't explain why I like it, so I'm kind of stuck in this this world. And so they sit me at a table and now I have a discomfort in my sensory system and maybe sitting at a table is uncomfortable in the first place, especially with my hands still and my feet on the floor. So now 50% of me is going, just sit like they said, 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 while I try to do what they want so I can go and do what I like to do which is run around and flap my hands and perseverate in some way with a, with a string or something or a ball or a, or a puzzle piece or whatever it is. Okay, so here I am, this kid, and I'm, I've, 50% of me already isn't with you because I'm trying to control my body and, and do as you say. And the 50% that's left is just watching you get me to do something so that you can you know, score me, test me, say what I did well or not well, while you sit there and, and do that, I am rewarded by being told I can go and, and perseverate. So what I'm basically saying to the child, me, I'm the child in this example, is get over here and act normal, and if you can do that for long enough, I'll let you be what you like to be, which is autistic. And I'll write down on my sheet of paper how good you were at acting normal. So what's happened is you've taught me that I am something different from you, that I cannot be like you, but maybe I can fake it a bit, and that who I really like to be is the person who goes over and perseverates and, and maybe doesn't talk while I do that or doesn't answer questions till the timer goes or whatever technique you're using. So in this way, I believe that the, that the methodology behind the setup creates sort of a teaching of autism. It creates a gap between the person trying to help the child, because trust me, these people work really hard. If you are an ABA therapist, you know how hard you work, and you, you are on it. I mean, it's a lot of work. So you're, but you're creating a, a gap between you and the child by the nature of the style of the lesson. And you could do this same level of repetition a different way and not create this gap of I'm normal over here and I keep charts on you and I make sure that I keep track of how good you are at getting there and you're over here during your playtime, the part you like being autistic. So I'm going, I'm going to tell you that doing it that way increases the likelihood of the child holding tight to the autism symptoms and then faking it for you whenever necessary. Well, if that's the case, um, it's going to be really hard to generalize this skill. Okay, uh, there's all kinds of reasons for that, but I'm going to go a little deeper into ABA and then we're going to flip this and look at the problems in the other 
program. So I promise, I promise, we'll go there too. All right. So, so here you are. You're you're this kid, and and you're learning that there's this really big difference between the two of you, and that those people keep charts on you, and and that's already a problem. So the gap is a problem. So the data collection itself, the method, it the way it's done is a problem. Um, the message given to you about who you are is a problem. And then the state dependency of it is a problem because there you are only practicing speaking at this table. And so I know that many of the therapies now include, you know, trying to transition you into generalizing, but in fact, they're still set up incorrectly. You know, they, People teach you how to play and have fun by teaching you how to do the game that, that we think you should like to do, not the thing you like to do as far as this approach goes. So it doesn't really work that well. But here's a really interesting piece that so many people miss. So here we are. We've got this child who learns, if I speak at the table, they will reward me by letting me be myself. And obviously, I want to be that person because that's considered a reward. So I guess I want to perseverate. So I'm going to go do that. I know how to do it well, and, I, and I'm going to go do that. That's what happens in, in the therapy sessions. Now the child goes home. When the child goes home or goes and speaks to you know a peer or a stranger or somebody that, that isn't trained... Um, even if we train the parents, parents are living with the child. They're not just sitting at a table, taking data and doing all of that. They're trying to live with the child. So, so this is usually what happens. Usually what happens is what the child has learned is if I talk at the table, I get to perseverate. And then they go home and what they learn is if I talk to my parents or if I talk to my family or if I talk to my neighbor, they're going and they're so desperate to hear me do these things that I do at, at school or at the table or at, with the therapist. If I do that with them, they're going to ask for more. They're not going to give me a break. They're going to go, oh, he said it. Okay, now answer this question. Now answer this question. Now answer this question. Because they get so excited and they, they really want that, that interaction so badly because they love them so much. And so what happens is the child goes, wait a minute. I am definitely not going to talk there because if I don't talk after the first question or two, they just look at each other and go, I guess it's not working. And they leave me alone. And I get to go and play and perseverate. So what is happening is the reward is what's malfunctioning. We're putting the reward in all the wrong places when we do this kind of an approach. So the reward is don't talk to your family because they'll ask for more, like, ad infinitum. So I just, I'm not going to because if I don't talk to them immediately, they're going to back off. So you'll find that the words that generalize in this circumstance is all the power words like uh, don't, no, move, go away, things like that. Or sometimes goodbye generalizes really well because you're going to leave and you're not going to up the ante and ask for too much. And it's not a question. Questions are hard to respond to. So here you have, here you have the problem, right? You, you've got this child practice, practice, practice at the table. But the reward is be more autistic. So now when they go to go home and generalize and be themselves, the reward is don't talk to me. And then they get to go and be more autistic. So now you're basically rewarding incorrectly. You're basically setting the child up to increase their STEM. And the more you try to push down the STEM, the more it's going to come up because of this setup. It really is doable to do it a different way.
Eh, but we might get to that later. We might not. Let's see. we got to flip it. Okay. So you are listening to a new spin on Autism Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, also known as the Brain Brad. And for the next three of my podcast series, I'm going to do the talking. I am my own guest, and I'm going to share with you some, some things I've observed internationally from traveling. And I'm going to help you to understand some of the sort of pitfalls in your program so that you can maybe address them and do it a little bit differently. A few tweaks, and you get a, a really nice result. Okay, so I kind of pointed out how in so many ways, well, actually I, I could go on and on of ways in which I see ABA as furthering the stims and the uh, perseverations um, in a generalized way or when the child is left to play on their own. Um, but let, but let's just stop there and let's flip it now and let's talk about, so, all right, so that that's clearly an issue. Now let's look at yes, but... Do you get enough practice in the child-centered approach, which you'll see in like sunrise or floor time? And so this floor time is kind of a, a little bit of both, which is one of the things I like about it. So um, do you? Uh, sometimes no, <laughs> actually. So what happens in those approaches is we wait for the child to be motivated and we build off the child's motivators. And that's a beautiful thing. And works really well for helping the child sort of unfold and and come towards you and approach you and want to be connected and lots of loving and hugging and and you know many of the myths of autism just melt away in that in that approach. But what often happens when, especially when a child is nonverbal and super unmotivated um, to change or do the hard work of learning to talk because they're so challenged. Understand me. I think people with autism work harder than than can be believed. And so what what often looks like lazy or lack of motivation is just caving under the difficulty. It's just really difficult. So here you have a, a super nonverbal person and you're in a child-centered program and you're encouraging them to say words that will give them power and inside the play and you're trying to model it for them. Well, some, very often... There's just not enough practice. Uh, there's just not enough opportunity inside of a game that is huge and sort of um, multi-layered. There's just not enough. So the child doesn't have a chance to really do the kind of repetitive, repetitive work that is necessary if you have a fine motor problem in your mouth and you're not able to replicate and you don't have the copy skills. And there's just so much going on in the challenge that you just have to have more opportunity for repetition. And, and one of the reasons that there isn't enough opportunity for repetition is not the structure of the therapy. So here in ABA, it was the structure of the therapy. It was the way it's laid out. You know, it's laid out to reward the wrong thing. And because of that, you'll get what we call giving the dog a bone. You'll get skills that are, are learned or as in, in a trained way, but the child is just giving us, we're the dog, right? The child's giving us a bone, sort of throwing us a bone to keep us busy so we can go off and perseverate. Um, and, and so they don't, uh, often they don't really take on the kind of change that you want them to. And if they have a family that is really good at doing a lot of explaining and, and, and sort of varying the, the challenges and helping them to, um, 
to really embrace the differences in the house and the way to apply the skill as it unfolds, then they will generalize. But if they don't have a family that's gifted in this and knows how to do it, or if they have a family that's just totally uh, copying the ABA model, they often really do grow the autism piece much deeper. So with the other approach, you have not so much the setup causing the problem. It's not so much the way that the game is structured as adults. (laughs) Us adults just don't want to play the same game that long. So so here we are, you know, let's let's just do a really simple game. Um, We're throwing a beanbag back and forth. And let's say we have a child who really loves beanbags. And and so we have lots of opportunity here. We can do, you know, throw the beanbag, a great sentence. We can say throw it up high, throw it low, throw it fast, throw it slow. We can say, you know, throw it in the basket, throw it. I mean, there's just, it goes on and on and on. And And it actually is wonderful because it will match what they want to do. So after we leave and they go to talk to their family and they have the beanbag in their hand and they're searching for something to say to their family who they love and don't know how to talk to, they can direct their family how to play. And they can say, throw it in the basket or throw it out the window or throw it on the floor, whatever. Um, Kick it, uh, you know, put it on my head and walk, whatever it is. So it's a great model and there's lots of opportunity for repetition in it. So the Oh, and, and, and it's state dependent as in, you know, you don't have to be sitting at a table to talk. Now you can talk inside your activity. So if you want to say something to your family that is related to the things you care about and love to do, you'll be able to. So it's a really beautiful approach, much, much, um, more user friendly and generalizes much better than in my experience than ABA, but, but, and it's a big, big, but, Adults really don't want to throw a beanbag back and forth for two hours, changing the structure of a word or or practicing a sentence and and not changing the game and, and just doing it and doing it and doing it. And they don't feel like they are working, like they are benefiting the child because there's a little bit more space between the words. You know, when you're sitting at the table, it's here's a card, here's a card, here's a card, here's a card. Oh, good. Now take your break. So we notice as adults, we notice the part where we're working constantly because then we're filling out charts and stuff. And now we bring them back and we're working again. When we do play therapy, it feels like there's too much space between the requests and the, and the words that are practiced and all of that. And we're throwing a ball back and forth. That doesn't look like work. We grew up at desks. We grew up going to school. We think work looks like that. So here we have this opportunity to teach something inside the state it needs to be in. And in a motivator, the child is probably going to generalize because they're going to want to play with that beanbag when you go because they're into it. Whether you understand why or not, they are. Uh, Maybe they like the way it smells or sounds or feels. It doesn't matter. So here you have all this beautiful opportunity to, to start from the beginning, from the very beginning of your therapeutic approach to start with something that will generalize. But you don't want to do it again and again and again and again and again and again, especially if the most you're getting is for throw, right? So you you feel like, oh, how am I getting anywhere? Maybe I should try a different sound or maybe I should, you know. And, and it's us. 
in this case. It's us that goes and devalues the approach and says, well, this can't be right. I can't be doing doing the right thing, so let's go sit at a table because that looks like work. And it's us that devalues it because we think it's boring. We're bored. And that's our fault. So as you got older, you started to like working more than play. It's pretty universal. You might think you like playing more because you look forward to your weekend and you want to sit around and watch some TV or you like to go out and dance or whatever. And that's, you know, that's true. We, you know, we all like our breaks and our, and our, our fun, our particular brand of fun. And we like that as adults, we got control of engaging in our particular brand of fun. Sound familiar? <laughs> that's what the kids want too, right? And we're stopping them. But anyway, so that's true. It is true that we do. But we start working like eight hours a day minimum, plus we're driving to work. And that's a, a form of work. And then we're working with our kids. And, we're, and it's work, 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 work. So we've stopped playing and started seeing work as fun. And we've found a way of having a motivator inside our job most of us. And so now when we're asked to play something that would have been okay to do when we were eight for that long, we don't want to do it. We get bored. And our boredom is translated to the child and the child becomes less interested and they want to play on their own because heck, you don't like it. And they know. And that's where that all falls apart. Now, I know, don't don't misunderstand, I do know, obviously I work with autism all over the world and I raise autistic kids, I know they don't like easily interact and play for hours the same thing over and over again unless we're very much uh, presenting the game in a way that they're already enjoying. And even then they may not want us to interrupt the game because they're already having fun. So our job is to kind of find a way in there. And and that, that takes some skill for sure. Um, but look at the beauty of that. You're finding your way into their game. So you're, you're working on social at the same time that you're working on, on language that will generalize in activities the child wants to do. So now you're actually teaching exactly what the family wants. You're teaching how to interact and be with the people I love in a playful, loving way. So I think that's a much more beautiful approach because we're starting with the lesson that we want to see happen. The problem is we don't want to do it. And we judge it as uh, not cool and not fun and not work and not uh, beneficial and all this stuff. But if you stop and think about it, I think you'll realize that actually it's a beautiful approach and a great way to get exactly what you're after, which is generalized skills related to interaction and, uh, and language. But you're going to have to... You know, you're gonna have to repeat the same thing over and over again. So, those are those are my thoughts today on the sort of the frailty in the two approaches. You know, the repetition is often missing in the play approach. It just isn't enough, and it's really hard to get the grown-ups that are doing it to do enough repetition. There also isn't data because you're busy playing, and if you stop and take data or put up charts, you're basically saying, now I'm testing you as failing or succeeding, and that takes away from the play relationship, from the friendship relationship that you're trying to build and generalize. So you actually can't do that to do this well. 
So that means you don't have the kind of data you need. Just sort of after the session, write down a few notes, but it's not the same. And it's in it's as effective, in my opinion, but it's not the same when you're trying to get um, a grant for a study or when you're trying to get approval by the scientific communi- community. So it can be a little tougher. It turns everything into just um, anecdotal evidence, and that's really unfortunate. Okay, so um, yeah. That is my thought on um, the advantages to the one and the disadvantages and the advantages to the other and the disadvantages. So if, you can, if you're sitting there going, okay, so what do I do about that? Well, clearly I think that if you, there's many things you can do. One of them is you can have your child, you know, go to speech therapy, go, go to therapy for some ABA practice. You can ask them to not do the kind of reward that says go ahead and go and stim, but instead do social rewarding. That would change it immediately. You can ask them to do their data gathering in a different way. You know, it's very possible nowadays to do your data gathering um, verbally. So you can just have something recording you and say, you got that one? Great. And you can just, you know, work into your language stuff like, that's four out of five. Right. And then later at, yeah, it's more work. Yes. But, you know, have sh- shorter sessions with the kids. Then later you can go through and, and have that transcribed by Fiverr online for five bucks or something. And, uh, and then you still get your data. So it is possible to, do a similar approach to get lots of repetition and get the data. The part that you're going to have problems with is the whole table concept of keeping the hands still and keeping the body still because if that child has a sensory discomfort, you are making 50% of their brain keep busy at controlling their sensory discomfort and diverting attention. So you're losing, you're dropping their IQ at the, at the get-go. And, um, and you're not doing state, de- you know, you're doing a kind of state-dependent learning. In other words, the child has to feel like they're being, 50% of their brain has to be busy with discomfort for them to reproduce the words. And so that's not a good setup for success or, or even for the healing that you want to happen in their body because they have to be stressed in order to speak. So that's, that's not a good thing. And then additionally, they're going to need to be at the table a lot of the time. So what you, what I would do is if I wanted to do that approach and keep the repetition in is I would go ahead and hang out places that are not a table and let them loll about, you know, so the child's got their legs up in the air and you got your legs up in the air. It looks a little playful, but you're asking the same questions. So you can say, well, you know, if we can do it like this, then we can do it. If, uh, you know, if you need to sit at the table to keep your body still, we can go there too. And so you can make it a choice. You can say table or couch or table or floor or, you know, if you're working in their bedroom, bed or, or table, whatever. Um, the point is that once a child chooses a, a way of working, much more of their brain is available to the lesson at hand because they chose it. So there isn't a part of their brain going, man, I wish they wouldn't make me do this. Man, I wish they wouldn't make me do this. Because they 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 made themselves do it. They made the choice. So they might be saying, oh, I made the wrong choice, but at least they're taking ownership. So really and truly, that that would be a remarkable 
difference. If you just made those little changes in your program, you could see a remarkable change. And then for the families who are wanting to see generalization, like get that language coming, where your child is doing an ABA program, you're going to want to stop asking, right? So they, they come and they, they come home or you pick them up or whatever and go ahead and talk about something you absolutely know they can say to just start out and then just leave it there. So you say, um, do you want to get in the back seat or the front if they're big enough to be allowed that choice? And now the answer you say, great. And then you and then you just get in the car and shut up. <laughs> Wait. Do not up the ante so that if he talks or she talks, uh, immediately you're gonna ask for more. Okay? Just give them some space. And then another question maybe, or in that space, tell them something about you, about why you prefer the front seat when you were young, or you know, maybe share that it used to make you feel nauseous when you were in the back seat. It's nice he's big enough now to come in the front, whatever. And then you can go ahead and ask something else. Do you want the radio on or the DVD player? You know, whatever. So caution you, caution you, caution you. Don't keep at them the second they generalize their language or they'll stop. I know I, I, I talked mostly about language. It's such a, a big concern that I thought I'd center this around that. There's so many things that we could talk about. It's just not possible to cover it all. Um, all right, so if you are doing the other approach, which I think is way more fun myself, but, um, you know, I want you to know I never played that much with my kids. I played games I liked. I played, you know, I love to sing. I love to dance. So we'd put on the radio and dance or, or, you know, actually I'm really old records. We'd put on records and we'd dance around the living room and Jesus Christ Superstar has been sung so much in my, my house. It's just amazing to imagine little autistic people going, ah, right. I'm not going to do the whole thing. I saw the mic blow out. So the point is that you don't have to be someone who likes to play their game to learn to like to play their game because you want to help your child because you love them. I I wasn't that person. I just like to play my games and just like everybody else. But I wanted my kids to talk and I wanted them to, you know, not step in the laundry when I was folding it. And I wanted, like, I wanted change. And I didn't want to feel angry with them all the time, which is what happens to me when I do the ABA approach. I, I feel like I don't like my life. So it's not an approach I want to do. Um, for that reason, it's about me. It's about how I feel, you know, doing it. So I suggest if you are using the play approach or you want to use that approach, you have to just decide. This is, this is fun because it's a lovely way to be with my child and then put an amount of time to it just like you would any other practice. And while you're doing that, you do the same thing if they're willing over and over again. Don't vary the game, vary the request. Don't stay with the same word over and over. That's not going to get you anywhere. As soon as you got one word, ask for a sentence, ask for two words, ask for variety, and use action words, use power words. Okay, that is what I think you got to know in order to move forward in your decision-making of what's working for your child and what isn't. If you're playing, keep it going. Don't give up. Don't judge it. If it's working, it's stay with it. Um, ask for all kinds of words. 
And if you're using the table approach, please don't reward them with autism. <laughs> don't, don't go, okay, your reward is to go and be different from me because that encourages the gap to grow. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, also known as the Brain Broad. And I just love the idea that I'm going to talk to you with all by myself for the next two as well. So I hope this has been useful to you. Um, if you do want to get my help in any way, I also I do two things. I come to the house and I work with neurofeedback and play, and I and I set up your program for change and and your life for change, and it's really exciting. And if you want to know how I work, you can watch my show on the Autism Channel. It's called Fix It in Five, and you'll get a sense of how it is when I come to visit. Um, so that's always available. Go to brainbody.net and read all about it and the testimonials and and maybe give me a call if you need me. Um, And the other thing I do is I do a I'm going to start soon doing Google Hangout and you can do Q&As with me but I don't have that set up yet. However, I do do a parent program where if you don't feel like you can afford to have me come and work with your child, you can at least get your environment changed and get things started or we can work with a group. So I need... um, you know, I need a minimum number of people for it to be worth my while to come out. But if you can get 10 people in your living room at $200 a pop, I'll come for the day and uh, you'll get help for free. So <laughs> that's pretty cool. Um, and I'll even stay at your house and we'll chat all night long and figure out um, a special approach for you. So that's a new program that I'm promoting and pretty soon you'll have to put me in a hotel. So if I was you, I'd grab it now. And again, go to brainbody.net and read about me. And if you're interested in finding out more about the play program, um, you know, the I actually let's call it the parenting program, not the play program, so that you recognize the difference between the two. Um, then please give me a, give me an email at momforevermore at juno.com. So that's mom number four evermore at juno j u n o dot com, or just email me through the website. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host. Thank you for being here. This is a new spin on autism answers, and today's question was: How does ABA further autism, and how does the child center approach ver- <laughs> further nonverbal activity? And I think we answered them. It's a long answer, so I can't put it in a sentence. All right. Thanks for being here. If you weren't here, I'd just be talking to myself, especially today. (laughs) Thank you for joining the show today. Lynette is the author of the refreshingly honest and at times hilarious new book, Miracles Are Made, A Real-Life Guide to Autism. You can purchase this and other materials by looking on the webtalkradio.net website and clicking on the covers. You can also click through to her Facebook page and check out any show you may have missed by looking in the archives. We'll see you soon for another edition of a new spin on autism. Answers. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. I can't hear. Talking to myself, I can't hear. I'm spinning in circles and talking to myself, I can't hear. I'm spinning in circles and talking to myself, I can't hear. I'm spinning in circles and talking to myself, I can't hear. 
talking to myself, spinning in circles and talking to myself, spinning in circles and talking to myself. I can't hear. I can't hear you. 